day 59 of Heart Dive 365. I'm your Bible study friend, Kanoi. Welcome to the Heart Dive Podcast. Well, it is officially 4.46 a.m. And we are here filming because my daughter got sick yesterday. And so I didn't get a chance to film black coffee necessary for this early morning hour of filming. Of course, if you saw my shorts or my reels, you know that I get up usually at two or three o'clock in the morning anyway to study. But I was one day ahead. So I'm like, I got to stay on top of it. So here we are. What is your drink of choice? I remember whenever I first started dating my husband and I told him, I'm going to know how much you love me whenever you are able to order my coffee correctly. Because at the time I had very specific coffee directions. Now I'm just a black coffee drinker, K-Cup, Pete's, Major Dickinson's. Right now, I think this is Cafe Verona though. Anyway, I like it strong. I like it black and I am for the most part low maintenance. So anyway, before we get into the word here, if you could please help us out by hitting that like button, letting us know that you are ready to get into the word of God. You're excited about it. We've got lots of stuff to cover today, lots of heart checks. So prepare your heart for that. And hopefully this time is carved out for you to be distraction free. And if you're new here, we welcome you. Please let us know where you're watching from. Where are you in the world? How'd you find this Bible study? Either way, we are so glad you are here. Hey guys, we're reading from the ESV by Crossway translation today. And a heads up, tomorrow is actually February 29th, if you are with us in real time. So we are going to use that day as a buffer day, a catch-up day, a day to relax, because we are sticking with our reading plan, which is 365 days, not 366 for this leap year. So if you come to me tomorrow asking me, where's our video? I'm going to say, you need to watch yesterday's video. You obviously did not hear my announcement. So don't forget. When tomorrow comes and there's no video, that is why. It is leap year this year. Let's go ahead and pray and get into the word, prepare our hearts. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this morning, this afternoon, this evening, whatever time it is, wherever people are in the world. But we thank you, Lord, that it is your time for us to be here in this very moment. Everything you do is by appointment and design. And so we truly do believe that you have us here for such a time as this. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will dwell here among us and that you will speak to our hearts, help us to be able to hear your voice, to be able to see your face. And I pray that we will be open to allow you to work on our hearts, Lord. We yield our lives in submission to you for your will to be done here on earth as it has already been written in heaven. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness, your kindness, your mercy, and your grace. We are so grateful for it today. We love you so much. And we just ask that you forgive us of our sins, help us to forgive others. And I pray, Lord, that you will bless each person here today, meet their needs in Jesus' name. Amen. So we left off yesterday with Israel finally leaving Mount Sinai. We're going to continue their journey throughout the wilderness. Chapter 11, and the people complained. Well, isn't that a great way to start off the chapter here? In the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes, we're not given a specific reason as to why they complained. It's almost as if it wasn't even worth noting here, but it's just general discontentment. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses and Moses prayed to the Lord and the fire died down. So notice here when the people complained to other people, that's when the fires broke out because that's what will happen. When we start grumbling to everybody else, you're going to see fires breaking out all over the place. But Moses, notice what he did. He went straight to the Lord. He took his complaint to God and that is how the fire died down. So the name of the place was called Tibera because the fire of the Lord burned among them. Now the rabble or the riffraff which what is the rabble? This could have been Israelites, also mixed blood people, non-Israelites who came with them from Egypt, that was among them had a strong craving. 
And the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. So here they go, looking back at the good old days through rose-colored glasses. I mean, they're dreaming about the filet mignon and the creme brulee that they once had and forgetting about all the oppression and the slavery they were under. They're romanticizing the past while exaggerating their present-day issues. And that's exactly what the devil will do. Because remember, there's no light behind us. So the enemy will come in and disguise himself as an angel of light, illuminating only the good things of the past so that he can try to lure you back there so that you will not move forward. But we know that God's best is always in front of us. If it wasn't, we would no longer be here. And he withholds no good thing from those who walk uprightly. So if he is keeping something from us, it is because it simply isn't the best thing for us. He knows that if he feeds them buffets every day, they're going to become gluttonous and sluggish, and they will not have the strength they need to move forward. So heart check. Do you find yourself romanticizing the past and exaggerating your present problems? Or can you see that the best is still in front of you? And you know whose voice I heard while reading that was Moira from Schitt's Creek. Did you guys ever watch that show? I love that show. Now, the manna was like coriander seed and its appearance like that of bdellium. So this is kind of like a resin or a sap that comes out of a tree. The people went about and gathered it and ground it in hand mills or beat it in mortars and boiled it in pots and made cakes of it. And the taste of it was like the taste of cakes baked with oil. When the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell with it. So here we see a description, a better description of the manna. And Moses heard the people weeping throughout their clans, everyone at the door of his tent. Y'all, we're talking about millions of people weeping and wailing. I mean, this isn't a cute weeping with a little tear running down their face. I mean, they are wailing here. And the anger of the Lord blazed hotly. I mean, mine would too. And Moses was displeased. I mean, one of the greatest annoyances as a parent is when my kids say, we're bored. After I have just taken them roller skating to eat pizza and ice cream, we boarded a rocket ship, we went to the moon, we came back, and yet it still isn't enough. And I just think to myself, my parents never entertained me. That was our job as kids. And we were happy just drawing on our feet and digging in the dirt. But the more you get the more you typically want. And with God taking them out of the brick baking business and away from where they had to drown their children in the Nile, plus he's providing perfectly nutritious donuts every single day, but they can't appreciate the heavenly food because they no longer have heavenly taste buds. And they're becoming more and more dissatisfied. They're bored with what God has given them and therefore going back to that slave mentality. But we have to remember that it is not God's job to entertain us. So heart check. Have you become bored of your daily blessings? Verse 11, Moses said to the Lord, why have you dealt ill with your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all this people on me? So now he's kind of faulting God, a little bit of a moment of weakness here for Moses. I mean, God may have allowed it, but he certainly is not the one inflicting this on Moses. Did I conceive all this people? Did I give them birth that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing child to the land that you swore to give their fathers? I mean, they are kind of acting like weepy babies here. 
Where am I to get the meat to give all this people? For they weep before me and say, give us meat that we may eat. I am not able to carry all this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. If you will treat me like this, kill me at once. If I find favor in your sight that I may not see my wretchedness. Wow. So this is really starting to weigh on him. I mean, one of the quickest ways to sap the life out of a person is to complain. And we're not talking about offering suggestions or even constructive criticism that is presented with a bow of grace on it. We're talking about our quick little fingers that jump on Yelp whenever our food is not up to par, just for the mere sake of complaining because we can. This is just plain old, I don't like this, and offering zero solution. And if you think about it this way, if we know that complaining will tear people down, then we're straight working for the devil who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So if you ever have a complaint in your spirit, consider this first and think about how you can actually offer a solution with your complaint or maybe present it in a way that will build up instead of tear down. You see, the Israelites could have gone looking or hunting for meat, but they didn't. They just whined about it and expected Moses to spoon feed them. So heart check. Do you look for the solution before offering your complaints? Verse 16, then the Lord said to Moses, gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them and bring them to the tent of meeting and let them take their stand with you. And I will come down and talk with you there. And by the way, this number 70 has some pretty good significance in the Bible. Here are some other verses, if you want to look in the notes and take a look at these verses where the number 70 existed in the Old Testament. And I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you so that you may not bear it yourself alone. So God is bringing in the reinforcements here. He's not taking the problem away, but he is strengthening. He is bolstering Moses. And say to the people, consecrate yourself for tomorrow and you shall eat meat, for you have wept in the hearing of the Lord, saying, Who will give us meat to eat? For it was better for us in Egypt. Therefore, the Lord will give you meat, and you shall eat. And by the way, this is not going to be a blessing from God. So, fill in the blanks for me if you've ever heard this or if you have ever said this. Stop your crying or... So if you know the answer to that, write it in the comments below. If you've never heard that, check out the comments below because I guarantee you I am not the only one who my parents said that to. So that is exactly what happened here. Even though it wasn't the best thing for them, God is going to give in and let them have exactly what they want. And in the end, they think that they're crying now, but they will actually be crying over a much greater pain once they get what they think that they want. And this is why we have to trust in God's will for our lives, because He knows what is best, despite what we think or despite what we want or whatever we're craving for. So heart check. Are you asking for God's will in your life or giving Him orders on what you think is best? And are you prepared to get what you ask for? Verse 19, you shall not eat just one day or two days or even five days or 10 days or 20 days, but a whole month until it comes out at your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wept before him saying, why did we come out of Egypt? So notice that the problem is not that they're craving meat. The problem is that they are dissatisfied. The problem is that they have a lack of trust and they do not believe they are discontent. They're murmuring, they're complaining, they have a 
critical spirit. And in being that way, they're completely rejecting the goodness, the rescue, everything that they have received from God up to this point. Verse 21, but Moses said, the people among who I am number 600,000 on foot, and you have said, I will give them meat that they may eat a whole month. Shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them and be enough for them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them and be enough for them? And the Lord said to Moses, is the Lord's hand shortened? Now you shall see whether my word will come true for you or not. So Moses is like, how in the world is this going to happen? You're expecting me to go pull some flocks out of my yin yang? I don't know. But God is like, "Mm -mm, wait and see. Nothing is impossible for me. Are you really trying to box me in thinking that I can't do this? How many times do we do that, right? We put God in our little box thinking, you can't fix this. So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord. And he gathered 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it in the 70 elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they did not continue doing it. So it sounds like this was a one-time prophesying event. Now, two men remained in the camp. So that means there were 68 outside, two men in, one named Eldad and the other named Medad, and the spirit rested on them. They were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent. And so they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth said, my Lord Moses, stop them. But Moses said to him, are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets that the Lord would put his spirit on them? And Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. So again, We cannot box in the Spirit of God thinking that He can only operate within certain realms, within certain walls. No, He goes wherever He wants. He puts His Spirit on whoever He wants. The beautiful thing that I see here is that there is room for everyone. This is why we don't need to be jealous, because there's room for us to be able to operate in the gift that God gave us too. We don't have to worry about Sally over there and what she is doing, the fact that she's rising up and doing amazing things, because guess what? This world is so huge. God is limitless. You too can rise up and be great in your own lane. And if you think there isn't room for you, then you are limiting God and his ability to be able to allow you to be great. And I love that Moses is like, I ain't worried about them. Verse 31, then a wind from the Lord sprang up and it brought quail from the sea and let them fall beside the camp about a day's journey on this side and a day's journey on the other side around the camp and about two cubits above the ground. So we got some big bird piles here. We're talking three feet of quail. And the people rose all that day and all night and all the next day and gathered the quail. Those who gathered least gathered 10 homers. 10 homers? If you guys have ever seen oil barrels, you know, those tall oil barrels, nine and a half barrels per person of quail that they were able to gather. That was the least of the amount of quail that was gathered that day. And they spread them out for themselves all around the camp. While the meat was yet between their teeth before it was consumed, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people and the Lord struck down the people with a very great plague. Therefore, the name of that place was called Kibroth Hataeva, because there they buried the people who had the craving. From Kibroth Hataeva, the people journeyed to Haziroth, and they remained at Haziroth. So they went from blessing to craving to straight up sin of jealousy and envy and complaining and murmuring and not trusting God to ultimately death 
by this plague. And I just sit here and think, man, how could they have changed these circumstances? It would have just been simply by being grateful, just thanking God for what they had, not looking around or looking backwards, but keeping their eyes focused on Him and what He has given them. So this is why you will hear me a lot of the time talking about being grateful and asking, what are you grateful for? Because I feel like when we remind ourselves of what we're blessed with, we will not end up in a place like this. Chapter 12. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. Now, who is this Cushite woman? There are several people that scholars believe this could have been. One, they say this probably was Zipporah. Others say, no, this was a second Cushite wife, or Zipporah could have died, and so therefore he remarried. I don't know who this is, but regardless, it's a Cushite wife. But we will see that this is just a pretext for their actual attack. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? Uh-oh. So it sounds like they are trying to accuse Moses of being prideful. And the reason why I say that is because we will see in the next verse that talks about the character of Moses. So it seems as though they are trying to counteract what was being spoken here. But what is plainly seen is that they are obviously jealous. They are envious of his position and they are being disrespectful and resentful of the fact that Moses is the one. And the Lord heard it. Of course he did because he hears everything. And now the man Moses was very meek. There it is. More than all the people who were on the face of the earth. Now, because Moses wrote this and the fact that he is humble, if you are actually really humble, you don't have to say that you're humble. So some scholars believe that this may have been added in later by Joshua, while others are saying that's why we say that Moses didn't write the Old Testament. But we're going to be given reason in just a moment to see that, no, Moses is the author of these books. And just as it was with the Israelites and food, so it is here on a spiritual level. Miriam and Aaron both have position. I mean, Miriam is a prophetess. Aaron is the high priest. Yet it wasn't enough. They want more. And because they couldn't call into question Moses's gift of leadership, they're resorting to pettiness in criticizing his wife before they move into the real issue of actually coveting Moses's unique position and influence. So they're basically saying, what's so special about him? And this is what we will do whenever we're insecure, because insecurity will cloud our ability to see the real issue. So if you ever find yourself starting to accuse someone of something, maybe take a moment to ask yourself if this is really what is bothering you. And if someone comes at you with petty attacks, maybe ask the Lord to deal with them with whatever it is that they're dealing with on the inside of them, because most likely there's some sort of insecurity going on. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and Miriam, come out you three to the tent of meeting. Uh Uh-oh, they're in trouble. And the three of them came out and the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam. And they both came forward. And he said, hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. And by the way, Aaron and Miriam would know this because they are both prophets. Not so, though, with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him, I speak mouth to mouth. Now, your translation might say face to face, but here it says mouth to mouth, which is basically just saying, We have unhindered intimacy because remember, no one sees the face of God. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them and he departed. And this must have been a really awkward 
awkward moment of silence once he left. So it is very clear here that envy grieves the heart of God because it is basically saying, why them and not me? You gave that gift to the wrong person. You messed up, God. So heart check. Do you ever find yourself feeling as though you should have been given the one to be given something someone else has? Or are you able to rejoice with those who rejoice? Verse 10, when the cloud removed from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous like snow. And Aaron turned toward Miriam and behold, she was leprous. Now this must have been kind of crazy because remember the high priest is the one to have to diagnose leprosy. And Aaron said to Moses, oh my Lord, do not punish us because we have done foolishly and have sinned. So here we see Aaron quickly confessing and repenting, whereas Miriam has just been simply turned leprous. This tells us that Miriam may have been the one who was the ringleader. The fact that God is punishing her with leprosy shows the condition of her heart, whereas Aaron may have just had a weak spine and simply followed along, and therefore God had a little bit more mercy on him. What are your thoughts on that? I don't know if that is the reason, but I'm just saying that's my belief. Let her not be as one dead, whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes out of his mother's womb. So here we see that they love their sister, Aaron pleading on her behalf, and Moses cried to the Lord, oh God, please heal her, please. So him too loves his sister. But the Lord said to Moses, if her father had but spit in her face, which would have shown the utmost contempt. Should she not be shamed seven days? Let her be shut outside the camp seven days, and after that she may be brought in again. So it seems as though God is indeed going to heal her from this leprosy after the seven days. So Miriam was shut outside the camp seven days, and the people did not set out on the march until Miriam was brought in again. After that, the people set out from Haziroth and camped in the wilderness of Paran. So this would have been one of the only, I believe, instances where we see leprosy actually being healed. I think there might be one more. But in the end, the moral of the story that I see here is do not question the people that God chooses. And that even speaks to not speaking against pastors and people God has put into authority and churches because those are his people. Those are his chosen ones. That is his church. Chapter 13, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. Now we will read in Deuteronomy that sending of the men was actually prompted by the people. And so here God is telling them to send the men, but this could have been one of those instances as, okay, I'm going to give them what they ask for. But he Either way, it serves the purpose of God because we are going to see that He is going to test their confidence whenever He sends them there. From each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of them men who were heads of the people of Israel. And these were their names. From the tribe of Reuben, Shamua, the son of Zachar. From the tribe of Simeon, Shaphat, the son of Horai. From the tribe of Judah, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. From the tribe of Issachar, Egal, the son of Joseph. From the tribe of Ephraim, Hoshea, the son of Nun, which by the way is Joshua. From the tribe of Benjamin, Paltai, the son of Raphu. From the tribe of Zebulun, Gadiel, the son of Sodai. From the tribe of Joseph, that is, the tribe of Manasseh, Gadai, the son of Susai. From the tribe of Dan, Amiel, the son of Gamali. From the tribe of Asher, Sether, the son of Mikael. From the tribe of Naphtali, Nabai, the son of Vopsai. From the tribe of Gad, Guel, the son of Mekai. These were the names of the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land, and Moses called Hoshea, the son of Nun, 
Joshua. So Hoshea actually means help or salvation, whereas Joshua means Yahweh helps or Yahweh saves or Yahweh is salvation. So we see Moses changing the name of Joshua just so slightly. Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, go up into the Negev and go up into the hill country and see what the land is and whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, and whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad, and whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds, or in other words, fortified cities or walled cities, and whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are trees in it or not. Be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. So this would have been sometime in the summer, either August or early September. So this is just a few months after they have left Sinai. So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin to Rehob near Lebohamath. They went up into the Negev and came to Hebron. A high man, Shishai and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, were there. So these are some pretty big dudes. I mean, it is known that the descendants of Anak are possibly descendants from the Nephilim, which means they could have been anywhere from like nine foot six to almost 12 feet. And Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. Well, that's a random fact right there. Well, Zoan was actually like a vacation spot for the pharaohs. And the only person who would have had this inner circle knowledge of Zoan would have been Moses, who had access to Pharaoh. And so this was that point that I was saying was going to be the one that tells us, okay, no, Moses must have been the one to write this because who else of Hebrew descent would have known this little fact here? And they came to the Valley of Eshkol and cut down from there a branch with a single cluster of grapes. So we're seeing here that this is a fertile valley, the Valley of Eshkol. And they carried it on a pole between the two of them. So that is a huge cluster if two people have to carry it. They also brought some pomegranates and figs. These would have actually come to harvest around late August or early September. So we will see that this little journey of theirs was over a month long. That place was called the Valley of Eshkol because of the cluster that the people of Israel cut down from there. Now at the end of 40 days, there it is, 40 days is how long it took. So that means they must have traveled about 15 miles per day to spy it out. They returned from spying out the land and they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. So they're like, it is exactly as God has said. However, oh, here we go. Burm, burm, burm. The people who dwell in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negeb. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. I mean, I don't know what they were expecting to find. These people are the natives of the land. And sadly, this is going to be the second greatest sin in the wilderness next to the golden calf incident is the the fact that they are trusting in their own strength and not in the strength of God. They are completely acting in unbelief here. But Caleb, don't you love that? We have that, that saying here, but God, and but here we see, but Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it for we are well able to overcome it. 
Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they're stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim, and we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seem to them. So in other words, they are saying, we are physically inadequate to be able to face these giants. And if you don't remember what the Nephilim are, remember, they were apparently the offspring of the fallen angels that mated with humans. So in the end, all but two failed the test. They ultimately said, yeah, we see giant grapes, but we also see giant people and giant walls. So yes, God's promise is true, but we are not strong enough. And their fear overtook their faith. But where they saw foes, Caleb saw fruit. And where they saw giants, Caleb saw God. And where they saw walls, Caleb saw victory. And guess who will go down in history and be remembered? It is the ones who had faith and the ones who trusted God. Whereas the ones who were cynical and skeptical and doubtful and they were complaining the whole way, nobody remembers their names. Can you recall any of the other 10 spies? So if we want to be great in this life, we have got to choose faith over fear. Where there are giants, we've got to look a little higher to see God who stands over them. Where there are walls, we got to trust that God will make those walls come down. So don't put your faith in the giants, but put your faith in the one who will take them down. So let's take a look at some of our deep dive questions. Why is complaining so prevalent in human nature? What does the appointment of the 70 elders show us about God's heart for leadership? How can you apply it to your life? How can we overcome cravings or greed? What does Moses' response to Aaron and Miriam show about his character? How does Moses' position shape your understanding of God's sovereignty in choosing leadership? And do you believe Moses made a mistake in sending the spies to Canaan? So, Heavenly Father, we set our eyes on you today. For anyone who might be facing giants or maybe seeing impossible situations that seem to have impenetrable walls, I pray that you will lift their heads up to see you standing above all of it. And where you have promised to bring us into the promised land, we have no reason to waver and shake in our boots as we make our way through the wilderness of life.